Welcome back to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm joined today by Dr. Pat Fagan, and we're going to be doing part two of, we did first part last week on fatherhood and why fathers are necessary in the development of their children. And so now we're going to be talking about the crisis of fatherhood in today's society. So welcome on the show again. Um, And I will link in the video, the first episode, if you haven't seen it, definitely check it out because it was really good. And now we're going to be talking about the crisis of fatherhood. So... Dr. Pat, how is uh, fatherhood under attack in today's society? Well, I think we're in a post-attack phase. He's he's been attacked and beaten up so much the enemy doesn't have to attack him <laughs> that's true. Uh, too much. Well, uh, that's a slight exaggeration, but well, people talk so. a lot about the crisis of masculinity, and I feel like Same it's thing. really a crisis of fatherhood. Like you can't address a crisis of masculinity without addressing the fatherhood aspect of that, in a sense. Yeah. I think in modernity, there's a lot of other elements if you go back in history and we can look at it. But in modernity, the big beginning of this happened by essentially the Marxist feminists in the 60s. Okay. So it is sexual revolution era time frame. Oh, which is very deliberate and, yeah. oh yeah, you know, planned and delivered. Um, but there were a lot of people who were, including a lot of men, who were changing their views on sexuality, marriage family, all of that. But the if you go back a hundred years before that to Marx and Engels, mm -hmm. they're very explicit in the Communist Manifesto uh, that the big obstacle to international socialism, which we call today communism, like, but, and their, their goal was global conquering. Uh, but the big obstacle, the two big ones, there are two, mm -hmm. is the family and religion. Um, which are the two deeply relational institutions, mm -hmm. you know, where we meet God in liturgy, but people come together, uh, whatever their faith, that's almost how they identify, do we belong together? You know, once you mm -hmm. meet, if you go to a foreign country or a foreign city or whatever, and, you know, totally different religion, but you meet a few Catholics or you realize, oh, that, and you'd go there to church, you immediately feel this is a place where I belong. A community. And, yeah. and that's true no matter what your religion is. Well, and that goes back to what you were saying in the first episode about how you need worship and the family. Like it's the same kind of dual thing of religion and family. Like, you know, and a different a, extension of it. But Yeah, well, they're both extensions of our the fundamentals of our nature. Mm -hmm. we're, we're embodied spirits mm -hmm. or enspirited bodies. Yeah. Whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, it's not, you know, we're joined that way. We're, we're infused. Mm -hmm. But the whole spiritual domain, actually, what's going on between us right now is spiritual. Because it's intellectual, which is like thoughts. It's, it's, yeah. it's soul to soul. This is not yeah. bodily. Yeah, sure. We, we, without our bodies. We're using we, our we bodies could, to be able yeah. to talk. But. Yeah, but most relationships at different levels involve relating. And relating happens the only way it happens, uh, or the main way it happens bodily, is in the marital embrace, mm -hmm. or when you shake hands. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, we don't use our bodies for relating, except for speech, for looking, and the, you yeah. know, for nodding and body language. But that's yeah. communicating at the spiritual, level, relational level. The relational is spiritual, Interesting. and the the nurturing of that spiritual mm -hmm. happens. And the deepest relationships are in the family. So it would be natural that the family is a key part of that. And also uh, worship and prayer. Mm 
is essentially relational with God. Mm-hmm. It makes but that also cross, with the others. horizontal and the vertical in a sense. Like the horizontal is your relationship with others and the vertical is your relationship with God. But what I'm saying here is they're both relational. Yeah, I guess and, I was just saying it. And the more yeah. you, you dig into one, the more you delve into one, it bleeds over into the other. Okay, yeah. It's very hard to keep, yeah. yeah. And, and God's commandment is love God <laughs> and love your neighbor. And yeah. you're, you're held to both. Yeah. Or another way, actually, of looking at it is, you know, at the time we die, the only thing we're going to be judged on, essentially, are our relationships. Yeah, that's true. And we both bring them with us before God, and we're judged on them so that we bring those into eternity, but we also leave them behind because mm-hmm. their effect continues on. Mm-hmm. Generation after generation. Yeah. For at least three, four generations, it, it'll be visible. And thereafter, it's less and less visible, but still continuing on. And the effect of the relationships you had, like a, a great mother and father who, you know, mm-hmm. provide a great marriage and great raising of their kids. Anybody can see how that will go on for a couple of years. Take the opposite. Yeah. Bad mother or bad father and the wound that's there and how wounds carry on over generations. Mm-hmm. The cycle of. Psychologists, yeah. you know, therapy couches are full of people like that. Um, yeah. And this is generational. Yeah. So we leave our relationships behind as well as we bring them to heaven. But Marx and Engels figured out these are the two big obstacles we have mm-hmm. to face. Within 100 years, I think the most brilliant practitioners of Marx and Engels were the American feminists who figured out that we can, essentially what they figured out, we can destroy both the family and religion simultaneously. You know how you do it? With the pill? No. Okay. With sex gone wild. The pill being Part a great that. assist. Okay. Yeah. But it's sex gone wild. And guys are suckers for it. Yeah. Women are too, but guys much more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um, and they figured that out. And and deliberately, actually, uh, Mallory Millet would be worth maybe an interview on, on, on this, on the founding of, uh, in any case, the National Organization of Women um, who then went on to spread and were very powerful and well-supported, and then they had many male allies in all sorts of institutions. Um, they pushed their sexual agenda, and very quickly, um, Planned Parenthood was doing similar. They were there before them, but they quickly became allies. The single biggest Supreme Court um, triumph they had in my book was not Roe v. Wade, awful as that was, but the uh, Griswold. Versus Connecticut. Yeah, because that, what the Supreme Court said was that unmarried people have the right to contraception. What they're saying is that unmarried people have the right to intercourse. Yeah. Well, actually, they don't. No. Because that's the purpose of marriage. That's what marriage is, the place in which intercourse is supposed to take take place. Why? Because out of it can come a kid. Yeah. To safeguard the uh, So you need the all three there. And if you're going to have all three, even though the kid is not yet even conceived or in existence, he could be. So um, you need all three. And that just brought that, you know, giving the, the pill or contraceptives to unmarried. And there you go, this mat, that was the real sexual mm-hmm. revolution. And that I took created, it outside the family. And that created abortion yeah. very quickly after. Uh, Griswold came first, 
Roe v. Wade came later because of you know, you know lots of kids now begin to have babies that they don't want. Yeah, because uh, contraception is going to fail, and so if it makes everyone think that they can have sex without consequences, and then there's a baby, they're going to get abortion. Particularly for young people who don't even know how to use contraception well, you know, they they do all sorts of silly things that are going to make it even less effective than it is. Um, okay, so that was the beginning, and ever and then the attack on the patriarch. Mm-hmm. You, hear, you hear about this patriarch has become a verboten term. Yeah, you know. Well, actually, you know what? Who the patriarch is? It's the ordinary married dad who has kids. Yeah, that's who the feminists regarded as the patriarch. We got to get rid of him. Which is like the least toxic form of masculinity. Like it's like priests and fathers are like the should be the best versions of masculinity. Actually, and- toxic masculinity is one of these terms that again has been. used yeah not that are ardent but the toxic that's well, a that's, new that's a new term well yeah but i guess like my point was like you could make an argument that some men do have this kind of like toxic masculinity but like when you're talking about men like that you know they're why? usually single men who are using women you're not talking about dads or and the reason priests. why you get more and more of those called so, so-called toxic men the less fathers you have around yeah you know it's actually the other thing the so Oh, there, this leads in so many directions. <laughs> but it, uh, this is how it came about. Mm-hmm. Then, actually, out of the same group of feminists came the women's study centers. Okay. And if, I forget where the first is, but the, Cornell and Princeton were two or three or one and three or something. They're among the, the, the earliest. And the women who started NOW, National Organization, when they, those ladies were part of that. Mm-hmm. We now have 780 plus, it's less than 790, 780 women's study centers across the country. Mm-hmm. And they're all spewing out this toxic feminism. Yeah. Anti-male, anti-marriage, uh, polymorphous sex, mm-hmm. et cetera. Now, people want to do that, fine. To pay taxpayer money, well, it's not fine. That's going to have it. But you know, people are free, and with freedom comes you do what you like. But then they are the ones who ought to be paying the consequences, not the rest of us. Mm. Um, and that government would support these. I hope DeSantis defunds these pretty quickly in in Florida, mm. or at least investigates them, brings it out to the fore. Here's what you're doing. Do you support? If they're undermining marriage, they are enemies of society. Period. Yeah, it's true. Um, and marriage requires a male and a female to produce the baby. Yeah. Um, in this like attack on fatherhood and masculinity that was happening in the sixties, there's a shift. There's like a distinct shift in media in like movies from fathers being like Mr. Beaver and leave it to Beaver to like the bumbling idiot dad in a sitcom. Mm -hmm. Was that a intentional thing do you think or do you think that that was kind of a sign of the times like that they were trying to change things on a cultural level um and then that it just kind of bled over into the media or do you think that was an intentional thing to try to shift people's view of men i think the the huge part of it is deliberately intentional i became very aware that when our own kids we have eight kids uh, you know the oldest is in the you know Mm -hmm. early 40s and the youngest in early 30s but so this is at least you know, 35 years ago, let's put it in the middle. Um, I remember going down to the local library, Chevy Chase Public Library, uh, and going into the kids' section mm-hmm. and just looking at the books. Every depiction of a father was 
none of it was a, a good, strong, loving man. It was yeah. all a denigration of fatherhood in one way or another. That was deliberate. Okay. Um, the feminists, the, the Marxists, I, I broaden it, not just the, the Marxists were very savvy. They've essentially gotten control of most of the institutions. Mm -hmm. You've got the long, slow march through the institutions. Um, journalism, education schools, education committees all across the whole country. Um, libraries, and then gradually into law schools. Mm -hmm. um, how, what about law? Like, what about law schools in particular? Like, well, is you that just, like in within like divorces, giving the kids to the mother, or is there something else that you're thinking? No, of no, no. I'm, I'm talking about the deeply Marxist thinking, okay, which will not which will come out. Just, no, will come out in fatherhood. Will come yeah. out in all sorts of ways, but not just fatherhood. Okay. Um, but yeah, coming back to fatherhood, yes, most definitely. Um, and actually, one of the most awful things that's very, very anti-father, anti-male is the family court system. Men can't get justice in the family courts. Forget it. It's all massively biased towards the woman. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, uh, I'm not saying the men are at fault or anything, but it is a universal complaint among almost all men who ever are brought into family court mm -hmm. as a family breaks up. Yeah. They don't, they don't stand a chance. So you have the these ideas like you have like the Marxists and the feminists like going after it like with like you said the women's studies and you have a bad portrayal in media. What other ways has like fatherhood and manhood been under attack within the past like 60, 70 years? Is there anything specific that jumps out at you? Or do you think it was just like it seems like there was a breakdown well, actually, on so it's many become levels? Pretty pervasive. Mm-hmm. Because um, if know, we're like anti we're after the well, attack. Well actually now. one of the biggest one of the biggest attacks on fatherhood is that marriage gets pushed pushed out really yeah, yeah once, you, once you once you push out marriage not, yeah you're pushing out fatherhood yeah and even you know there's a it has become so pervasive the mm -hmm. effects of this is now intergenerational we're now like from the 60s we've to now that's 60 mm -hmm. years we're on the beginning of the third generation post yeah. that revolt. Um, so it, it spreads out more and more and has its tentacles in there more and more. It's in song. Uh, have you ever heard a song about praising a father and a married father? Uh -huh. You know, yeah, that's, you know, some of the, the more you get into the country and Western, you, you've got more of a chance, yeah. but more of them are about the breakdown of marriage than about the, <laughs> <laughs> the flourishing of marriage. Um, so it's pretty widespread. It's, it's now so deep, it's assumed. I, yeah, I'll tell you another, true. actually, in, in the recent stuff, actually, with the woke uh, things in the big corporations, mm -hmm. most men are afraid to speak up. in their firms mm -hmm. and say, look, because this is an attack on marriage and family that's going on yeah. through the major corporations. Actually, that's another great Marxist triumph mm -hmm. is through the human, um, what they call the human resources mm -hmm. people in, in the, you have it even in Catholic universities, the human resources are, yeah. you know, a lot of the woke stuff was in the universities first. Now it's into the corporations. 
And in that, men hear, okay, I can't speak up about my sexuality, which means, you know, traditional male, female, mm-hmm. and, and family life and that. I got to keep quiet. Is that because, because if I don't, I might lose my job. Yeah. So it's like because they're afraid of being like singled out, like basically seeming like, I don't know. I'm, there's a word that's on the tip of my tongue that I can't think no, of. No, it, <laughs> it has become so pervasive that to even request re- respect for yours is not admissible. Interesting. Yeah. If you speak out against that which is clearly against the married family mm-hmm. and the father and mother raising their kids within, we say, a church-going family of any mm-hmm. faith, Do you think that's honored in major corporations today? No, No, it's the very opposite. What would be an example of that? Like not being a man, like what kind of situation are you thinking of? Well, Pride Week. Oh, okay. So just like speaking against things that are attacking the family. Pride Week is a direct attack on marriage Mm -hmm. publicly. Okay. It's not asking. No, it's not. (laughs) This has become so very pervasive. Yeah. It's now taken almost for granted. So basically men that are speaking up against institutions pushing agendas that are anti-marriage and anti-family. That, okay, that are that anti-them. Makes... Yeah. They're anti-them. Look, I'm totally uncomfortable with this. You're asking me to say it's okay to do this? Now, look, I, I'm not a preacher. I don't mm-hmm. want to be out there doing this. is the ordinary dad. I'm not a preacher. I don't want to be condemning people. But when you push me to say this is okay, you're getting into totally different territory. Yeah. That's what I'm talking and about. And men should be protecting their families from having that also. And just like on the flip side too. Like every legislator <laughs> in the in the country ought to be protecting marriage and family. Mm-hmm. So Congress has we... Congress has totally failed us on this. Right to this day. Both parties. Um, you know, the courts, well the Supreme Court actually is stepping in a little on things and it takes a long time for things to get there. Um but that shouldn't be actually a functioning society needs lots of marriage needs actually needs their kids to be raised within the married family. Mm-hmm. So what do we do about this like attack on fatherhood that's going on then? What would you, what like advice would you have for a man who maybe didn't grow up with a good dad, who's trying to be a good father for his kids? How do you, that's a, that, how do you two, navigate? Two questions there. Let's, okay. <laughs> let's take, well, the common sense one. Look, if you're a good guy who said, received a bad deal growing up, reach out, study, learn, associate with those who want you to have the good deal. Okay. There are plenty of those people. Seek them out and do that work. You'll have to work harder. Yeah. Because the the kid who had a great dad and all the rest, he's got a huge advantage. You just have to rediscover this. It's in his bones. He just goes on. Sorry, you're going to, but it's going to be worth it for you because you're going to transmit this to your kids. And that's mm-hmm. the biggest gift you can give. And actually bringing a child, nothing gives more meaning uh, to life than children well-raised, um, other than the meaning that God gives. But on the human level, the meaning of family trumps everything else. There's nothing more satisfying there's nothing that protects against all the mental ill health and even physical ill health family Mm -hmm. is huge and that means children are huge which means fatherhood is huge Mm -hmm. so it's well worth it for that guy um but in general what should fathers do it's almost like the same thing i think civilization is breaking down all over the world 
Yeah. Um, oligarchs who are woke with their bureaucracies have more and more power. I don't know what's going to happen, um, but it's, you know, we're all feeling the hostility. Any Anybody of traditional Christian or Jewish background feels the hostility from mm -hmm. these quarters. So how do you survive? Actually, we do what the Jews did. They've had lots of persecution. They've had lots of bad times. They're phenomenal at, at taking care of the kids, raising strong kids. Um, that's how you take care of it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you try and elect good politicians who do the right thing. You get the one big political thing, I think, that I would say is we get vouchers for schools everywhere, yeah. period. Universal vouchers will do a huge amount to turn this around quicker because parents will choose the best school they can for their kids. And the best school that fits like the edu like different kids have different personalities exactly. and they'll need different styles yeah. of learning. And, only the, and the parents are going to be the best judges of that. Yeah. You know? Are they going to be perfect? No. But a thousand times better <laughs> than what's happening right now. So yes. don't quibble with they're not going yeah. to make perfect choices. So that would be one. The other thing actually is, uh, and we'll come back to the fundamentals actually, to, to grow the young green shoots that are going to be necessary for building what I think will be a new global civilization, not Western, global, because the world is now all interdependent. We're all yeah. very aware. We're dependent on China, China on us, India, et cetera. We see this all every day. So we're becoming more interdependent. And as natural law and what the church has to give and all the rest seeps out, what you're actually building now is a global culture. Mm -hmm. um, now, its roots are in Western civilization. I'm not saying that, but it's much broader. And how that's going to be done is essentially through strong families. Yeah. Who produce the strong kids, who are going to be the ones who will risk leading here and here and here, uh, rebuilding these institutions. Mm -hmm. But it's going to take time because you have to get a certain amount of mass. You know? Yeah. It took... If you look at the history of the spread of civilization of, of Christianity, you know the first three hundred years there were pockets around the essentially around the Mediterranean. Yeah. By around six hundred, we had Spain and France, and uh, you know for a certain amount of Asia Minor, and you got to get to the thousand year before you've got you know Sweden and Russia and etc. Now, with that spread, and this had a huge impact, spread monogamous marriage. People think of the spread of Christianity, but with Christianity came this huge human change. Yeah. And from with, with monogamous marriage came increasing human strength. And it took many, many generations to arrive at what essentially became the Renaissance. Mm -hmm. And that was the flowering of family. It's the flowering of all the institutions cooperating more, but the flowering of marriage, what marriage contributes to wealth, to education. Mm -hmm. And then you have the church, of course, feeding the whole thing and it being fed by and feeding. Yeah. Um, marriage has everything to do. So you want to do well by the future world, raise your kids to marry well. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I think that's the measure of parents. You have your kids. How do you know when you've succeeded? When well, they get married and have... Well, if they marry well, a lot of that is your work. Interesting. And by well, yeah. I mean a good guy marries a good girl. Yeah. And both sets of parents are happy with the marriage that's taking place. Yeah. And the boy and the girl actually love each other and like... Sure. Will want to invest in their children and all of that yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. 
that's that's a good marriage. And actually, that's passing at that stage. The baton has been passed to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And that's how it goes, generation to generation. That's why marriage is absolutely key. It is the passing of the baton. Mm -hmm. Sure, the the parents still have a long time to live and etc. But mm -hmm. they have passed the baton. If they passed it well, it's not totally dependent on them because, you know, their children are free agents and some of them might decide to, you know, <laughs> kick it all in and go go after all the pleasures of the world the wrong way. Yeah, the True, parents can't control that. Just, actually, that makes me think of um, Brideshead Revisited is one of my favorite books. Uh -huh. And it makes me think of that idea of the twitch upon the thread that like, even if you do, if you raise your kids well, even if they do go off the deep end, hopefully you've raised them well enough, raised them well enough that they'll come back to come the back. faith at some point. Exactly. Like, even if they do go off the deep end at some point, if you've raised them well, hopefully they'll be able to have that, like that twitch, that like coming back to God and realizing like, okay, I've fallen and I've messed up. And I'm going to, I believe in my father's love, like God, the father's love enough for me that I will go and seek his mercy. I think a lot of guys, I don't know what it's like for girls, but a lot of guys have this temptation. Look, I'm going to enjoy this stuff for the next number of years. I'm going to go wild, but I will come back. Yeah. Well, I don't think you should go into it intentionally like that. But <laughs> No, like, no. I, that's the temptation for a lot of guys. Yeah. That's a big human temptation for guys. Yeah. And I'm not advocating I want to, I want for, to like, stay adolescent for. And, and kick the traces and yeah. and drink the Kool-Aid and all the rest. And then I'll come back when I'm ready. Yeah. That's not, not what you're I, you to don't do. want yeah. that. No, I guess I'm saying from the parent perspective, I'm not saying a child should be like, oh, I can do whatever I want as long as I come back. I'm just saying that like, if you've raised your children well as a parent, even if they do end up falling off the horse, they're going to get back on kind of like, you want to raise kids in such oh, a way yeah. that they'll be able to believe in God's mercy and be able to come back in that way. Oh yeah, and and lots of parents today are praying for that, and mm -hmm. they know their and their kids who wandered <laughs> know that they're praying for them. You know? Yeah, it's it's part of human nature. It's part of the. So basically, like to be able to like try to restore fatherhood, then we need to be like helping men be able to like invest in their families and helping them raise sons that will be able to marry well. Basically. I think friendship like, among men, uh, pulling other men in mm -hmm. around fatherhood is going to be a key investment we have to learn how to do it uh, okay. men don't gather in friendship groups too easily uh, women do yeah women do men not so easily and there's no facilitating for that in society as much anymore either like i feel like yeah. you think about like the early 1900s you had the good type of gentlemen's clubs where like men would come after work and yep. chat with each other or you'd have like different like there was it was more socially acceptable for males to seek out society and a structured social context and you don't necessarily have that as much anymore because feminists came in and said like oh no i should be able to be yeah, in this man's space as well yeah, yeah yeah but um actually this is part of the work i'm doing and a, and a good friend um john bishop we're starting a new organization uh to teach fathers putting on courses with the key uh, on fatherhood. Um, but the big thing we have to learn how to do is how men get together to form friendships. Women form friendships with women much quicker than men. Men will get together. We'd get together mm -hmm. over a pint, talking about sports or politics or whatever. But to get into the more intimate things of marriage, kids, and that men don't tend to talk about those things when they get together. Mm -hmm. That's getting too intimate, and it takes it takes men a much longer time to develop a 
a trusting, vulnerable, intimate friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and to have a group of men doing that where they're helping each other is is going to be part of the future. Does so because so many men need to need the support of men to learn yeah. to become fathers because they didn't have good fathers or they're they're not they're not happy with what happened to them. Do you think having a good relationship with their father makes it easier for them to have those stronger friendships with other men? Like if they're used to being able to talk about deep subjects with their dad and it was something yeah. that real men talk about when oh, you're yeah. a boy and you see it modeled, then it's yeah. going to make it easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, it, it makes it easier for them to get along with men, yeah. which, which is the start. Mm-hmm. And, and men, the way they get along with each other is much more, I don't want to say surface, it's very important for them. It's much more action oriented you know that that everybody's beginning to realize this you know montessori and all the rest of it like boys need a totally different education than girls because they like actually like breaking things like building things they like drawing about things that are explosions and all the rest of it you know you do that in some primary schools grade schools in this country the kid will be pushed down to the counselor and the parents will be called in because he likes drawing about bombs and all (laughs) That's male, (laughs) just being male. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So first being comfortable with men, and that comes from being comfortable with dad, and particularly a dad who has his own male friends. And Mm -hmm. he, he, you know, he he has them over for a barbecue and has his boys coming. He pulls the boy in gradually Mm -hmm. in the conversation, you know, and he lets the boy listen. You know, young boys about to listen to what the men are talking about. So gradually he learns how to be a man by being with his dad who's with men. Okay, this is just an interesting question that I'm just curious from your perspective. Can you think of good examples of men in like literature or movies or something that our listeners might be familiar with that would be like a model of a good man? Like I can speak as like a girl. It's like I can look at the literature that I grew up with and be like, oh, this was a good model of a woman or something like that. I'm just curious from the male perspective what you would yeah, say for that. I did. Actually, I used ChatGPT to, to ask that question. They gave me a good list. Actually, I know what was right on the uh, top of the list repeatedly was To Kill a Mockingbird, oh, the father Atticus. the father in that. Atticus. Um and there, there are a number of others, um, and I have a bad memory, and okay. I can't tell you the rest. <laughs> yeah. But To Kill a Mockingbird is one. And actually, we do need we do need uh, lots of lists like that so that we, our boys can read them and absorb different models. And yeah, um, no, there's lots of many. If- like I think if you think of actually Gladiator, mm-hmm. uh, men like that. He was both a most devoted father and husband, but even though most of the movie is about uh, you know you know being a gladiator and, and war and all the rest of it, but underneath it all, actually, and right at the beginning, through it all, you have this sense, and at the end, uh, it's it's being a father and being a husband is mm-hmm. is the core of his life. Mm-hmm. There's loads of stories about that. Because I feel Loads. like that's a good for men who nev- haven't necessarily had that example in their lives because they don't have a good father figure around per se, being able to say, like, look at this, like, literature figure, look at, like, movies and books model people for us. And oh, I can you're tell not you, going to see it in your necessarily modern movies. That I'll are- tell you a great story on the female side on this. Okay. Uh, a friend of ours, she's well known. Uh, I didn't get her permission, so I'll keep her. Uh, <laughs> in a, but but it's, it's a great story. Uh, her parents divorced. And then when she was 12, um, she read the book Meet the Austins, which is all about family life. Okay. And she said, that's the way I want 
that's the sort of family I want to have. Mm-hmm. And later then, she's very bright. Uh, she met a very bright guy who was uh, probably about seven, eight years older than her. They got married when she was 18. She dropped out of a freshman or sophomore of college wow. to get married yeah. and has raised a phenomenal family. Uh, she's extraordinarily bright, well-known. If I, But yeah. one day in his teens, her oldest son came to her and said, Mom, I need a book to read. Can you suggest anything? She said, why didn't you read this one? She gave him Meet the Austins. Mm-hmm. And he went off, and a couple of days later, he comes back. He said, yeah, I, I need another book. Well, what do you think of Meet the Austins? He said, oh, they're us. <laughs> it was one of the most joyful moments in her life. That's great. You know? Yeah. But that's the power of a good book. Yeah. Captured her imagination, gave her a model, and she p- pursued it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and it's 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 true. It's real. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that just like and so to books like that are, yeah, and we need more books written like that too. But us men, yeah, we need a list of manly men books yeah. for ourselves and for our boys. Yeah, yeah. Well, is that one of the things? So you were talking just like a little bit about the program you're putting together. Yeah, that's so one of the side of things the we'll side, do. Yeah. yeah, actually, like to start it and. Uh, there's loads of guys out there who know particular books. It'd be a matter of sort of gathering them and making them this and vetting them, make sure, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah. So you're I think doing that, that you're going to be teaching classes to men on how to be men basically. It was that. Yeah. We'll do those of... online actually okay. both video and text. And uh, we've got six modules coming up and or, or one course we call the course essentially sex ed for dads uh, for their sons. Wow. So it's the good. father shaping the sexuality. And it starts essentially in infancy and goes right through to the time he's leaving home, we say about 18. Oh, wow. And the, all that goes on, early infancy, pre-puberty. Mm-hmm. And then once he hits puberty, of course, it's now a very different education because now this is, you need the foundation that happens pre-puberty. Yeah. You can lay a good foundation. Then when that's in place, then the good father can induct and tutor his boy, all with freedom, but leading him to be a great man to go off then, you know. Mm-hmm. When you go off to college, actually, a huge amount of marriage selections are made then. Lots yeah. of people, you probably know lots of friends. Who, I do, yeah. yeah a, so actually, one of the things, the fun things, imagine a conversation with brothers and sisters in their teens around the dinner table is, you know, what are the criteria for a good husband? Or, or hey, hey, guys, how do you pick a good girl who's going to make a good? You could have great fun around the dinner yeah. table, but they're learning. Yeah. And before they go, they already have the criteria that, you know, they sort them out themselves in their own way. There's a huge amount of work to be done. Yeah, well, that's, it's so good that those kind of programs are going to be out here because, like, I feel like a lot of, like, my generation are kind of sitting here, like, in the shambles being like, okay, like, hopefully you've been raised in a good family and you've had it modeled well for you. But, like, so many people in my generation didn't necessarily have a good model or and don't really know exactly what to do and they know something was wrong, but they don't really know how to go forward. So being able to have those resources, being able to be able to start investing in the future when they you know, have children. One of the things that strikes me for men, it's uh, even like a lot of good men we say are of our my grandfather's age or mm-hmm. even my early age. Um, the culture did a huge amount of this shaping. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things people are not aware of. You didn't, now, because the culture doesn't do it, as a matter of fact, it's pushing back, mm-hmm. parents have to do it all. Yeah. 
So you have to figure out to do what your grandfather never had to figure out. Mm-hmm. Like the whole expectation of how you're going to court a girl and when and all that. All that was essentially laid out by the culture. You just went along with the flow and you got there, you know? Did you notice a shift from when you were growing up versus when you were raising kids? Oh, in massive. How? Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Ireland, actually. Oh, right. So, it was, so But it wasn't different. too different. Like I, I talked to friends of mine in my age and growing up in Philadelphia or something in the 50s. It yeah. wasn't too different. There, we watched the same movies, <laughs> cowboy movies. <laughs> John Wayne. God, John Wayne, yeah. yeah. Hopalong Cassidy going back even earlier. <laughs> when you were a boy, you had different things. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know my grandfather apparently said like nothing prepared him for the 60s. That's like, right. Like raising kids. It was just like blindsided, yeah. like, oh, shoot. Like, I don't oh, absolutely. Know. Actually, the culture, and that's what happened. The culture changed. And if you, I draw the analogy of the Atlantic current. Mm-hmm. Starts, you know, down in the in the Gulf of Mexico and goes past you and then goes up across and then hits Ireland and mm-hmm. northern Spain, Ireland, and all the rest. You put a boat in the Atlantic current. Mm-hmm. It pulls it gradually up that direction. Wow. Okay? Yeah. Now, you take today, our parents don't have an Atlantic. That's what culture did. Pulled nice. so much along with it. Because... People had learned over time. That's how cultures are made. This is what works. This mm-hmm. is successful. Now parents have to row the Atlantic in their own little boat with no current to help them. Wow. That's the analogy of yeah. raising kids today without the culture helping you. So you need basically community support to help be that current. More and more. When, yeah. 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 And you see that happening yeah. more and more. People rediscovering faith, uh, houses of worship as a place of community that you trust. Yeah. And growing that, et cetera. That's a natural way of being human yeah. and raising kids. And it's always easier if you have other families doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And one of the key things actually parents have to do, I think a, a tip for anybody who's listening, around age four or five, get, the, get your kids to be close friends, close enough so that they can play with kids of other good families. Uh, the kids you wouldn't mind your kid your your kids marrying later on. Not mm-hmm. that I'm saying they're going to marry, because that's going to be very important by the time they hit their teens. Because the teen years, the peer group needs to be essentially a good one. Yeah, and it's too late to start introducing your teenage boy or teenage girl to good kids at the okay. teen years. Yeah. If mom and dad's trying to introduce me to good people, I don't want to meet them. Yeah, <laughs> well, because they're figuring out their independence. Like exactly. You said. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you 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 get the community of you get the peer group early and let yeah. them grow up together and then you've got none of those bothers and they'll start they learn how to be boys and girls you know they um, dancing for instance I think is 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 great when you get the proper sort of dancing it's a great way for teen boys and girls to get comfortable with each other mm-hmm. boys learn how to treat a girl well the girl etc you know. and you learn how to communicate in different ways the girls learn to be led and men learn how to lead and all of that like. I know that like from the little bit of dance, like from the dancing that I've done, it was like having to pick up on all these subtle signs. Like you're not having a guy saying, now we're doing this step. Now we're doing this step. Now we're doing this step. You have to like learn how to like actually be able to read and figure things out subtly too, which is kind of an analogy for relationships later. One of the things where a father comes in, it can be a great help. Some, some men, some boys, some people, you know, have two left feet and dancing doesn't come easy. Others, you know, it's just in their bones and they, (laughs) they could do tap dancing without any, um, but and the dad can encourage his two left a boy, look out there, learn to here's here's a few simple steps. Because mm-hmm. once he has the courage, even though he's not a great dancer, but if mm-hmm. he learns how to do it, 
the girl all almost always anyway decent girl she's she loves being asked mm-hmm. and she probably ad- she may admire him more for his courage than the great dancer who she would enjoy dancing with but yeah. you know there's a there's a different quality here in the guy who has the courage and then leads in a very simple two step or whatever it is that has the confidence and the courage. Yeah. 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 That that the girl likes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this conversation today. It's been really interesting to talk about all of this. So I think it's it's been my my pleasure. We haven't had many episodes on fatherhood. We had one on St. Joseph before I took over hosting, but this Uh has been, it's something that I think is really important and I'm really glad that we were, we were able to do this. So great. Thank you for coming out today. Yeah. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. And to all of our listeners, please like follow, subscribe. Um, And just keep on living the culture of life. Thank you and God bless.